0: You know, April really isn't like that. I, oh, hey, we're, we're live. Hey, everybody, hey. how's it uh, how's it going? Uh, so uh, happy New Year, everybody. So today is Sunday, January third, twenty sixteen. It is ten p.m. Eastern time, or as we refer to it, SBSM time. But do not adjust your computer screen. That's right. I, I am not Doctor April Foreman. Of course, I wish I. I wish I
1: was. We all wish we were.
0: I'm Dr. Mike Savella, and flying a co-pilot with me tonight is Dr. Bart Andrews. Bart, how are you doing tonight there, buddy?
1: Hey, doing great, Mike. What a treat to be here. It's my first blab. My blab cherry has been um, probed. Not officially popped.
0: Uh, That's right. So, so before we start, I I have a statement from our lawyers uh, that we have to say. Uh, The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of SPSM or or even me or Bart Andrews, for your discretion is advised. Uh, So, uh, uh, so we are stealing uh, SPSM uh, time slot tonight, we are either a a midseason replacement. Or we're like a bad spin off show. What, what what do you think
1: they're yeah, I like spin off. I think spin off is great.
0: We're like yeah. SPSM uh, Minions. What do you think? Min-
1: uh, minions. I was thinking more of what was what was that after Happy Days? There was Joni Loves Chachi. Do you remember that?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. We're
1: kind of like that. Joni Loves Chachi. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. We're- <laughs> we're, we're not Bay Night. We're like we're, we're Baywatch. We're like Baywatch Nights.
1: Yeah, Baywatch Nights. I don't think we've got the breasts for it, but I think no. that with time we could work on it.
0: No, no, we're not. We're not. We're not Mash. We're like we're like after Mash.
1: <laughs> after yeah. Mash, Trapper John.
0: <laughs> oh man. Oh. It was a good
1: show. Did you like that? I loved that show when I was a kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what are we doing this? Well, uh, our, our good friend April who's, who's with us and who we may let uh, chat later. Um, uh, previously on SPSM. Uh, she said, Hey, uh, go outside the box and uh, do something for SPSM. And I you know, contacted Bart and say, Hey, we should try this blab thing. And uh, that's where we're at. So, so, so Bart, this is your first day on blab you know, uh, chatting, experiencing the whole thing. What, what do you think of the platform here,
1: buddy? Uh, okay. I'm going ha- to haven't, have messed around with um, hangouts for the last year. This seems much simpler and cleaner. Um, and it was, it, it just seemed, it works really easy. It was easy to get on, no challenges. Um, and uh, I like that the Twitter is built in. You can tweet. I love when you tweet, you got the GIF um, built right in there. That's, that's very cool. And then you've got a chat function. So I like all the bells and whistles and, and, it seems like it's working really well. I mean, I haven't used it before. We just got right on and we were there just like that.
0: Uh, and shout out to all 15 people watching me live. I think we're already trending on blab. Uh, I don't even know that, but I'm making that up right now uh, because we're bringing it. We're bringing it here uh, to the blab, you know, and uh, for people who are watching live, uh, they can they give us a little, uh, little, uh, little, you know, thumbs up or, you know, it's little, little uh, claps or whatever those are called props, Uh, and, um, and I already got a question on how I got my little, uh, my little name thing here. And, uh, uh, for people on Macs, it's called cam twist. Uh, you, you, uh, you download that and you can put any kind of graphics that you want on that. Uh, I got that from a, a little blah, blah people here. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, having a good time. And, 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 uh, Bart, I do like the, the real time chat room that we have people who are making fun of us, uh, right now. I know you're responding to, uh, to some of them. Uh, and I'm ignoring them. Uh, but, uh, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? <laughs>
1: uh, it's good stuff. It's a little distracting cause there's some funny stuff going on. That's right.
0: And That's, I love, yeah.
1: I love the hat. That's adorable.
0: Uh, thank you. Thank Has how, uh, How's Mr. Frog? Mr. Frog's uh, behind your shoulder there. And, um, you know.
1: Oh, so I, I should have brought my Wookie. One of the, one of my best Christmas presents for the year was a, um, a Wookiee backpack, um, a Chewbacca backpack, um, and it turns out the Chewbacca back—oh, the frog! Fell. The oh. Chewbacca backpack was actually designed apparently for a very small eight-year-old. Um, but but that's okay because I did take the Chewbacca backpack with me to see Star Wars, and Chewbacca sat on my lap for the entire viewing, which was, um, you know, we could cuddle. And uh, and at times when Chewie would do things, I would hold up at the. It was really exciting. I should have brought Chewie in with me. I didn't. Yeah.
0: Cuddle. There's cuddling, really.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a Wookie and it's pretty cute. You'd have to it's a pretty cute Wookiee. I
0: yeah. got, got nothing. I don't know. Um, so, did, so did you see the movie? Did you see the movie? Oh, the-, uh, the movie was
1: awesome. We took my oh, we took my mom and my mother in law. The kids went. The only my daughter refuses. My daughter is on an anti-Star Wars campaign. Um, she hates it, um, and she wouldn't go. So we we didn't we didn't take her because obviously she wasn't going to go anyway. And I don't get it, but there's a. There's a real strong uh, anti-Star Wars um, thing out there. She's part of the Star Wars hater group. Um, you know, you don't get to pick your kids, they tell me. Apparently, that's, um, I got a word for that.
0: Hmm. Mm. Uh. So. Uh. So the 15 people in here. We. We. We are going to talk about. You know. Some good stuff. We're going to talk about primary care. We're going to talk about mental health. We are going to talk. Um. About uh, suicide prevention. But you know, this is just. We're. We're just kind of. You know. Just. You're just getting. Getting just easing into things here, kids. Easing into things, and. Uh. uh some people ask me about my little scrolly, scrolly thing over here where I have my name and. Uh, uh, that is a for if you're on Max, uh, the 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 app or the program is called Cam Twist. You download oh, cool. that, uh, and uh, because um, after the program here, they won't have our little names up here on the on the YouTube uh, replay. Uh, so, but they will have that little thing down. Oh,
1: that's there. So, cool. Uh, uh,
0: so yeah, yeah. So that is uh, that 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 is what uh, that is about. Uh, so, and, uh, and people are already, um, using the question function in the live chat room there. So I believe it is, uh, it is backslash Q and, uh, you'll be able to, uh, uh, ask us some questions and, or make fun of us. Uh, we, we, uh, we appreciate all, uh, all your feedback. All hate mail goes to at doc Foreman on Twitter. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> her turnaround time on email is a little slow, so if you have hate mail for her and it doesn't, you don't get a response right away. It's okay; it's in spam or she's working on it. Don't uh, don't
0: panic. Ah, uh, uh, um, so um, so anything else about your holidays, there? You you, uh, you you did some uh, you did some TV. You did some binge watching over the over the holidays. Here, uh, uh, yep, what's that about? We, we,
1: uh, we binged on Curb Your Enthusiasm, watched all eight seasons, um, in the span of about uh, we did we did a season a day, um, and I have to say that uh, that show was awesome, um, and that was really sad when we watched the last episode this afternoon because Larry David is incredibly talented, um, and uh, some of the some of the setups that they put people in um, was really interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, not you know a, a little. Uh, If you don't like that kind of humor, I could see it not being an enjoyable experience because Larry and his buddy Jeff have um, some challenges in terms of social appropriateness and morals. But, yeah, aside from that, really fun. Have you Uh, seen the show, Mike?
0: uh, No, I have not. I've seen uh, some of it on, on YouTube. Uh, and uh, I, I have not partaken of it um, but before we go into this, uh, you know I, every week on SPSM you know I, I, uh, I make remarks about Bart's hair uh, and uh, so so uh, so Bart let me ask you so do, do you use do you use product in your hair do you use gel uh, what's the secret you hair
1: no, no and, and I want to be clear because there's a lot there's a lot of confusion about what's a product and what's what's a, a hair repair or hair care um, hair healing. My um, medicine, for instance. Um, so I don't use any product in my hair. I do use a leave-in conditioner for dry and damaged hair, um, and uh, but that's not a product. And if Shy's paying attention, it's not a product. Um, and I, I've, I've stopped getting haircuts. Um, I believe that uh, haircuts are uh, basically a, a bit of a scam, kind of a pyramid scheme. Um, you keep have to going back. It just it just goes nowhere. And so my last haircut actually was in August of 2015, and we'll see how long I can ride this out.
0: Wow. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So hey, is, but, uh, is it true you're actually blonde and you actually color your hair? Can you confirm that?
1: That I that I color my hair? No, I don't. I've thought about it. Particularly the white and the beard. When the when the beard came in white, that was really kind of that was a hard moment for me because all of a sudden you can act like you're younger, but when you have gray, when you have gray um, in your facial hair, the it's hard to act like you're not old. So. Ah. Wow. Yeah, so I but but now this is my real color—the kind of I don't know what you'd call it, dirty brown, dishwater brown. I like dishwater brown.
0: Oh, I like dirty brown. It makes you dirty look brown. I
1: got dirty. I know, it's,
0: yeah, it's bad boy. Dirty
3: brown here, and then yes, the, yes. the
1: kind of a red pepper, salt and red pepper beard, maybe. I don't
0: know. Mm. Mm. Nice. Yeah. See, see, people are liking that. People are liking the hair. So.
1: They are, and I'm wearing compression pants. I don't know if that's gonna, but I'm a big fan of. Compression.
0: Oh, and I am not wearing pants, so um, I, I don't know. Yeah,
1: you uh, don't need pants when you're doing these kinds of shows. Like that's this, right.
0: That's right. It's like anchor man. You know, I don't know.
1: It, free balling is underrated, and I think if more of us would, and I also want to, I want to point this out. It's really hard to fight a war without pants. So if we had kind of a global no pants, I think a lot of peace would break out, Mike. I really do
0: uh world peace is breaking out everywhere Uh, yeah that's right yeah my my hands are right here hands right here right here you dirty people out there um all right so um let's change gears here a little bit so the other reason i want to talk to bart is that every every time i you know every week i'm you know see bart on screen there I, i i read the bio I read you know the the twitter description, and uh, maybe I dismissed the show about you know what what you know what do you do and and what your job is and and how are how are you all connected to all this uh s p s m crowd uh
1: yeah let uh, me start out
0: just uh kind of reintroducing yourself uh and uh just talk about you know uh what you do and and how you got connected with this s p s m thing in the first place.
1: Yeah, well, I'm. Uh, thanks, Mike. I'm really, I'm really, really, very new to social media. In fact, I've been on social media officially um, a year and three months. Uh, probably like September of uh, 2014 is when I first got on Twitter because my boss said get on Twitter. I had tried, I had tried to get on Twitter a few years before that, and it was a uh, didn't go anywhere. I didn't know what I was doing, um, and I just didn't know anything about social media. And so um, I'll tell you my social media story. At first, I um, I got on Twitter in the fall of uh, 2014. And then at the, um, I'm the I'm the president of the National Association of Crisis Organization Directors. What? Um, and at our. And what? What is that? Yeah, I know. What I know. That? It's a lot of people don't know that.
0: Yeah. What? What does that mean? I don't even know what that means.
1: So, so it's a great uh, NASCOD, We go by NASCOD, is a great organization. Crisis lines. There's there's hundreds of crisis lines across the country. But unlike hospitals or primary care clinics, um, you don't usually have a lot of local crisis lines, right? St. Louis, we have two crisis lines. The state of Missouri actually has like three crisis lines in the entire state. So it's really hard to develop a a social network of folks that kind of know what your life is like. And so NASCOD is an organization where directors, managers, supervisors at crisis organizations have a way to connect, have peer support advocacy. Um, The organization has been around for quite a while. I've been a part of it since 2009 and just absolutely love the folks. Um, And I met April, uh, the amazing Doc Foreman, um, and Tony Wood um, at the 2014 NASCAR conference in Nashville. And that's where I I found SPSM. I had no idea what suicide prevention and social media was. I didn't even really think you could use social media for suicide prevention activities. Um, And uh, you know Tony, you know April. They're amazing, they're talented, they're infectious um and so they're like the gangrene of social media once you get it you start smelling like almonds and you're um on social media a lot yeah that was a that was a stretch mike i
0: apologize i I I suppose like uh, cashews or you know
1: i'm thinking almonds doesn't doesn't gangrene smell like almonds I I, that one. i don't know
0: i'm not wearing pants so i have no idea
1: Yeah, so so anyway, so I fell in love with with Twitter and, and being a part of the SPSM chat was really a life altering experience because I love Twitter. I've learned so much, and I think one of the cool things about social media that I've loved the most is it's a place where people can connect, um, and, and they connect across all kinds of different groups. I've had more contact with people with lived experience of suicide, people with um, lived experience of mental illness, um, and have learned from them and their advocacy efforts. And, and, and being able to connect with other providers outside of the normal context of our jobs and structures has been absolutely amazing. So, like, if you've ever done, if you've ever done um, a, a BPD chat, um, that Those those are just amazing experiences. So that's, I've, I've kind of really kind of fallen in love with social media the last oh, year, year and a half. Um, I, I work in an amazing organization called Behavioral Health Response. We're a crisis agency in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, we originally started as the crisis line for the Eastern region of Missouri, and now we've expanded in all kinds of other areas. My role there, I've done everything. I started as a phone clinician right out of my doctoral internships. I started working on the phones, evenings and weekends, mobile outreach. And I've just gradually um, uh, kind of insinuated myself in every nook and cranny of that place. And over time, um, I became the vice president of clinical practice and evaluation. So that's, that's what I do now. And my primary focus is, is, is looking at our clinical practices, looking at best practices, and, and making sure that our, our clinicians are using the best techniques and skills available.
2: Wow. And,
1: overseeing the, and we, we're involved in a lot of research practice uh, and research projects with suicide prevention and follow-up. Um, and so those are things that I'm involved in as well.
0: So did, did that go all the way back to like even high school and college? You, you were interested in, in this type of topic or related topics? And
1: No, huh? no and I was a, I was a, definitely a late bloomer. Um, so uh, college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. The first class that I actually got a decent grade in was introduction to psychology. Um, that would have been what, probably 1990, fall of 1990, my first two years of college, I probably had amassed six credits um, from uh, four semesters of college work. The first class that um, I fell in love with was instructor psychology. And since at that time I was early in my own recovery um, from uh, alcohol and substance uh, use, um, psychology was something I just kind of really gravitated to. I really liked it. Um, I went into clinical psychology, um, the Southern Illinois University of Carbondale's clinical psych, their experimental clinical psych program, loved it there, amazing, amazing uh, training program. But if you would have told me uh, what in uh, when I went into clinical psych in 93 that I was going to work at a crisis hotline uh, 22 years later, I would have, uh, I I don't know what I would have laughed or cried hysterically, um, or a little bit of both. Um, I think one of the things that happened is that when I started working at BHR, it it was a crisis, interestingly enough, I was at a crisis moment in my life um, for a lot of different reasons um, and ended up working on a crisis line now i'm not advocating that people who are experiencing a life crisis should work on a crisis line but in my case it worked out pretty well and i think one of the things that happened in crisis intervention work mike that was really powerful is that i realized in a clinic um, there's many folks with a with a mental health that are fighting mental health needs that never make it into the office that never make it to the hospital they there's so many barriers to care that we don't appreciate um, and don't exist often for medical care. And when I started taking phone calls every single day, right from the get-go, I was talking to people who were having thoughts of suicide. And I had done a lot of clinical work before I worked at BHR. Um, And I worked with people at risk of suicide, but not that many. And it became very clear to me, one, how intense the need was, how many folks out there were fighting thoughts of suicide. Um, It's a lot. Um, and I also learned that the training that mental health professionals get um, around intervening, assessing, intervening uh, with suicide is atrocious and really unacceptable, to be quite honest. And so that was a real um, uh, experience. for me. I fell in love with the phone work. I fell in love with working with law enforcement, doing mobile outreach, being there 24-7, regardless of insurance, ability to pay, whatever, we could help people. That was very powerful to me. It's still very powerful to me.
2: How long were you um, clinical so practice for?
1: Um, so well, I was, uh, VHR was my first job out of graduate school, actually. So, um, all of my clinical work, uh, was, was graduate school related. Started working in the clinic. My first semester started seeing clients, um, worked at the VA hospital at Marion, had a practicum and then a paid internship there. And then my doctoral internship was at a community mental center in, uh, in Tennessee.
0: Wow. Wow. Huh? Yeah. And, and then, and then, so my, and then at some point you were, you were like, oh, you know, I, I want to do more. I want to get you know, it involved organizationally and maybe doing some policy work and research at some point, And, and you felt like you'd be able to help more people doing that type of work.
1: No, it was a complete, uh, Mike, it was a complete, uh, it was a complete accident that I ended up at BHR. Actually the way it happened was uh, the summer that my doctoral internship was ending. Um, my life was uh, kind of going nowhere and going nowhere in a really, really quick way. Um, and my wife sat me down at the table. We had a family meeting. We had a family meeting, Mike. We'd never had a family meeting before, and my wife said uh, she's she's uh, she's a kindergarten teacher, but she should have been um, an attorney. And she took me through a series um, of very um, uh, intense questions. Uh, she asked me questions like, "So, what have you done in your dissertation?" Which was um, nothing. <laughs> um, she asked. Uh, wow. She asked what she asked what my plans were. What was I looking at in terms of postdocs and or post internship experiences? Um, and I said, I had looked at some neuropsych uh, placements in Miami. There were some cool uh, behavioral medicine placements in San Diego. I wanted to go someplace warm. That's what I was thinking. Just someplace warm, sunny, nice. Um, she said, well, have you filled out any paperwork? Have you called them? Uh, no, I hadn't really done any of that. She said, yeah, okay. She said, well, let me tell you what I'm doing. She said, I've got a house and I've taken my job back. My wife had go up her job to follow me around for graduate school and internship. She said, I've, I've got a house, I've got a job. And I was like, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> and, and then <laughs> yeah, I know. And then she said, and if you want to live with me, you need a job. And, and she was very clear about the job. Um, it had to, um, as she explained it, um, they had to pay me money for the work that I did. Um, she was very clear that, that it couldn't be anything that was voluntary or a practicum or more education. There, there had to be real funds involved.
0: Show me the money. Um, I had show me the show money. Me there,
1: show me money. the money. There, there had to be benefits, um, and there might have been. When I look back on this period of my marriage, uh, Mike, there might have been some trust issues because she said she also wanted to to see a W two um, from the employer to verify that in fact I was employed. And when those conditions were met, I would be allowed to move into her house. That's so um, So, yeah, this is a great story, right? Yeah. So, um, I what any what any self sufficient, confident, and well trained young professional would do, Mike. Exactly. I immediately I called my mom. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wait for it, wait for it. Ah, there. You I go. called. I called my mom, and interesting enough, my my mom had a friend um, who was a psych tech. My mom was a, a psychiatric nurse uh, for years, and uh, she had a friend that was a psych tech that had just gotten his master's degree and started working at Behavioral Health Response on the crisis line. And he and she said they're hiring, and I literally, literally drove up instantly, called them, got an interview, drove up, interviewed, and got hired. I started at, at uh, BHR. Um, three days after I finished my doctoral internship, wow. um, yep, left, left uh, the Nashville area, packed my stuff up. I, I was left in Nashville. My wife moved up first into her house. Um, I was left with one of the dogs, one of the cats, a blanket, a TV and instructions to make sure that the apartment was um, ready to get our deposit back. Um, and then I started work at the, I started work at the crisis line um, right away because I, I, uh, without working at VHR, I was about to be homeless and divorced, so it seemed like a pretty good option at the time. Wow. So that's my, yeah, that's that's the kind of strategy that goes into my career decisions. I,
0: wow. Well, just like I said, every, every superhero has an origin story, so there you go. Like, uh, that is uh, that's fascinating.
1: <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that, that's, that's how I ended up at VHR, and it was it's kind of one of those, for me, a God thing, um, because I fell in love with the place immediately, and it turned out um, to be a perfect fit for me. I love Crisis intervention, um, what, and what you, enough. And, you know, well, what, what what do you love about it? Well, the, the the thing that was the thing that was most attractive to me at first was that um, I don't know about you, but a lot of clinicians I was horrible with paperwork, right? And when I was in Tennessee, there was back then they had ten care, so there's this managed care system and all the forms and the different things we had to fill out to get paid. There was so much paperwork and so much stuff. The cool thing about crisis, now it's quite a bit different now in, in 2015 than it was when I started in 98, but the cool thing about being on the crisis line was that one, it was exciting. It was fast paced. Two, when, at the end of your shift, you were done, right? You were finished. Your paperwork was done. Right. Your notes were caught up. Done. You walked out. You were you were finished. So there was the combination of the adrenaline rush and really, and also really being in a connect with people that, that you wouldn't be able to connect with otherwise. And you're, you, you walked out and you, were, you walked out. You were finished. There was nothing else you needed to worry about other than going home, and I, I love that. Now, that, that only lasted for me for a couple of years before I got into management, um, but that, that combination. The other thing that I really liked about Christ's Intervention was there's no conditions on it. That that It's kind of like emergency room medicine, right? People can just come in. And and you're just there. That all this other stuff goes out the window. All the other things that all the paperwork that people got to fill out. All that other stuff that all those things that get in the way. When that phone rings and you answer, you're focused you're on insta- them. You're just instantly in the middle of this thing. Yeah. And 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 what's really amazing about it is that people are often telling strangers over the phone things they haven't told anybody in their life, right? So there's this there's this safety and this comfort of the anonymity and the ease of access. And I think when I train my staff, one of the things we asked about suicide, one of the things I like my folks to take a minute and, and when someone answers that question and they, when they say, yes, I'm having thoughts, keep in mind, you may be the first person that that person has ever said that to. It's probably the first time that person's ever said that out loud to another human being. There is an intimacy and a power in that moment when someone who is struggling with thoughts of suicide finally takes that step and, and trusts another human being enough to say, I'm, I'm thinking about suicide. that That's an incredible moment. Um, and and it's, it's I'm so grateful to all the crisis line folks all over the country that are out there doing it. Right now, while you and I are talking, there's people all over the country on chat, on text, on crisis lines. Um, that are the lifeline for folks right now, the only person in the world that they can tell, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about suicide and I don't know what to do. And there's something about that that's very powerful.
0: Uh, Yeah, a great question from Jimmy here. Uh, How do you recharge your battery? Do you get burned out dealing with this level of intensity all the time? Uh, Thanks, Jimmy. It's a great question.
1: Yeah, you know, that is a really, really good question. And self-care is a huge issue that's getting a lot more attention. Um, as I look back, I'm gonna be honest, as a manager, my self-care is a lot worse than it was as a clinician. Um, uh, for whatever reason, I was hardwired um, for that sort of thing much better. I thrived on it. Um, the only the only, the only, only issues that I really had is that early on, um, and I don't know if for folks that worked in ED, if you've ever rushed through a case, there were some times early on when I rushed through and 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 didn't have the outcomes that i would have liked um and so i learned within the first six months of being on the job my biggest self-care technique was slowing down and just being with the person and if that meant staying there as long as i had to um but when i left i left with a clear head, right so one of the things my big self-care that i had to learn for myself was get it right the first time stay with the person do the best you can so that when you walked out the door you really could walk out the door so when when i was a clinician on the phones a lot and i'm not anymore but when I was a clinician on the phones, that was never a big deal. The cases that sat with me were all cases where I felt like I rushed. Um, and when I started coaching myself and working myself to slow down and meet them where they were, not, not worry about the clock, not worry about the clock. That wasn't an issue. Um, I think watching the, the, the folks that work at BHR now, um, one of the things that I see is that it's so hard um, when you're – it's very vulnerable being a crisis clinician because you're talking to people that often at imminent risk of suicide. And sometimes you have no way of knowing where they are. You can't find them, right? And, and so you, there's this tremendous sense of burden um, that you can feel. Um, and and the other thing that is really hard, and I, I learned this early, your best is your best, and no matter which choice you make when you're working with somebody, you don't know if it's going to work or not. Right. You don't know. Right. You've got no way to know. You've, so you've got to learn to be comfortable with that ambiguity of outcome. And what I see with, with um, new clinicians is that, that giving up certainty and and knowing that you can do the best you can and still have a bad outcome, it can be really draining for folks until they get that sense of, hey, I've got to really, I've got to be comfortable with the choices I make and in the interventions I'm doing. Um, and so when I watch folks, one of the things that I've been really working with the clinicians in the call center recently is about how um, you're always doing the best you can. And, you, yeah, you could have done this differently here, but there's no way to know that if you would have chosen X, you know, X instead of Y that you would have gotten a better outcome. We don't know that. We really don't. Um, There may be professions and with medicine, maybe it's often a little more clear cut, but I imagine in in emergency rooms and in lots of medical decisions the same way, you often don't know what the best choice was until after the outcome. And even then you're not sure. So helping folks live with that vulnerability and that sense of uncertainty that can be really draining and helping them be comfortable um, with that um, is a big self care issue.
0: Yeah, and in uh, April also is uh, chiming in there. Uh, uh, tidy personal life, non-suicide frivolous hobbies, managing your work time, and insist on what you need to do the job right. And um, um, get also getting a lot of love in, in the chat room there. So self care uh, definitely uh, definitely important.
1: So, well, self-care is really big. And one of the things we just presented on, we did, a, I run a, a PIRINAR for, the, the, for NASCOT. And we just talked about um, clinicians' lived experience and their own therapy, therapeutic experiences and how that impacts the care they're delivering. And one of the things that's really interesting is the data, there isn't, surprisingly, there isn't a lot of data about lived experience um, uh, with mental illness of providers. And there should be tons of data about this. There's very little. Um, but what we do find is that, in fact, the majority of mental health professionals are experiencing significant levels of depression or anxiety, much of it's work related, and a lot of them are not getting help. And so I think more and more you're going to see this healthcare, um self care, um, uh, self care and healthcare is going to be an emerging topic that I think is going to get a lot more attention over the next five to 10 years.
0: Uh, another question uh, from Mark. Um... Uh, how do you manage the changing landscape? It's probably a policy question, I would think, as far as you know, care and um, what's happening, and um, you know, um, all, all the stuff that's happening as far as from a, I guess, health policy standpoint.
1: Yeah. Well, from a policy standpoint, I'm not a policy wonk. I think that um, there's a couple of different things I'd think of from from a policy standpoint. One of the things that we see from a policy standpoint is that for crisis and suicide prevention services, a lot of um, a lot of federal funding is fee-for-service funding, right? right? A lot of what doctors are doing is fee-for-service funding. Fee-for-service funding is a horrible model for suicide and crisis work, right? Um, and, and to give you an analogy, imagine that um, we only paid police officers or fire departments when they responded right? Right. Um, That's really one of the big challenges we have with uh, the policy and and the funding stream um, around suicide prevention and crisis services Mm -hmm. is that fee-for-service doesn't work really well. Um, And So you've really got to support the infrastructure, you've got to support capacity, you've got to be able to respond 24-7 regardless of how many responses you have. Two, um, the other thing from a policy standpoint is that the amount of money that we spend on behavioral health and specifically the amount of money that we spend on suicide prevention is ridiculous i mean it's a it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction um of of the scope of the problem um if you look at the suicides the 10th leading cause of death um ninth in missouri um uh the the rates going up um but it's not anywhere near to be the the 10th most funded area of prevention activity it's not even in the it's not even the top. It's not even the top 100, I don't think, right? So our funding streams um, uh, tell us what we value. Um, People who have cancer, we value them. People who have uh, Parkinson's, we value them. People who are fighting diabetes, we value them. People who are fighting behavioral health um, challenges, people who are fighting thoughts of suicide, our culture doesn't value them. And you can tell that we don't value them because we don't put dollars behind the services to prevent them. Um, And so when we talk about changes, we need to change the culture um, I was just doing a presentation recently with, with, with some hospital folks, and it's such a clear divide in the medical community. And, and people can call me out on this if they disagree. Please, please call me out. Um, but you have your real patients and you have your behavioral health patients. They're, they're, they're complete separate groups. Um, and when they walk into an emergency department, they get treated very, 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 very differently. Um, and, and interestingly enough, I think that's to the detriment of everybody involved. I think that the, the medical professionals, um, don't feel good about the job they're doing and then they compensate for that in really weird ways. Um, and I think that the folks that are getting care, um, that are fighting some severe behavioral health challenges, um, are often getting really, really, um, poor care when they, when they reach out for help. And I think a lot of that's based on prejudice and discrimination and a lot of, a lot of cultural stuff that, that makes it really difficult to, to provide care.
0: Uh, I was scrolling back here. Uh, so, so wanted to know if you're still married.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, everybody asked that question. I don't get it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we just, we just actually celebrated, um, our 21st, uh, wedding anniversary.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. How does... When I
1: tell the story, people ask that all. I don't get it. People ask that question a lot. Are you still married? Like they're, they're shocked by it.
0: Well, I mean, how, how does she put up with you? That's, that's a big question. So I don't know.
1: Uh, yeah, I get that question a lot too, Mike. I think that um, I think that uh, yeah, I'll ask her um, and get a sense of maybe true love. Um, it, it I don't know. Uh,
0: and, and I get I get this question a lot too. So, so does your wife um, either know or understand that you are a internet superstar and that you talk into a computer every Sunday night?
1: No, you know, the kids, they all make fun of me and my wife's a super huge Twitter. She's got like nineteen thousand followers at this point on Twitter. So I'm I'm considered I'm considered a a a, a very minor um social media celebrity um, in this family. Um my son's huge on Instagram. When they're bored, they get on my Twitter feed and make fun of me. So that's,
2: that's <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not kidding. I, I I wish
1: I wish I was making that up. But um no, if they're if they're all sometimes they're just for uh, giggles they'll get on and they'll they'll see what I'm posting and they'll laugh. So there, that's my life at home wow. They ground me. It's grounding Mike. It's grounding. Well, well, what does what,
0: what your wife tweet about what's your what's her topics? And stuff?
1: She's in the funny kid crowd I don't even know it's comedic. They give each other trophies there and they are they are very talented very clever folks And here's what I was I'm gonna I'm gonna give my big I'm gonna give my little I'm gonna get on my uh, I'm gonna get on my soapbox um uh, mental health and medical professionals are some of the worst tweeters on the planet because we don't get the retweet, right? I don't, I don't know. We're stingy with the retweet. So um, when you go into other um, uh, Twitter networks, they literally retweet each other constantly because they want to expand the message, they want to get the word out, they want other people to see this is funny or this is important. And you'll see tweets getting, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of retweets um, in the in the particularly on the behavioral side um Getting retweets is really a challenge. Um, you'll you'll see a few things cycle around that get some attention, but people don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're afraid that if they retweet that the phone's going to explode, or I'm not exactly sure what the, the reluctance to retweet is. But it's we got a real problem. They don't quite get it.
0: You know, I, I don't I don't know about that. <sighs> no, I, I, I I I try to
1: retweet. You do, but you're but you get it. You're very good with social media. Um, and and you 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 put some really good stuff out so but but if you just look at the general pool it's not uh it's if the retweets is not that great
0: uh all right well hey, that, was, that was a fun little interview there so uh i don't know if you've talked about any of <laughs> some of that stuff or any of that stuff on the air before because that's uh that's kind of cool stuff there man huh Oh, and, yeah. and you got you got to do the Letterman thing. You got to do the Letterman thing. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. But
1: this is when this is when when Foreman is uh, is monologuing. I'll do this because, I don't I don't really have much else to do, and so I'll go into the Letterman mode because I've got a I got at least contribute. Yeah. Well, well,
0: well. Yeah. What happens when she goes into a big monologue and then she just like throws to you and you're just like and you're like and you you're half paying attention to what she's saying but what, well, it's, how, how do you get uh, out of that man?
1: Well, uh, sometimes poorly, Mike, would be my answer to that question. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't handle it. <laughs> I don't handle it great because it's because she's saying wonderful things. The other thing that Foreman does, though, is she'll start getting me misty-eyed. So when when she starts connecting with a piece of information at an emotional level and, and she goes on these eloquent, um, um, I don't want to call them rants, but they're kind of ranty. They're eloquent rants. Um, I, I get a little choked up as well, and so I'm kind of – battling a bunch of different things and then all of a sudden it's it's hard to know when she's going to run out of steam. I I try to look at the corner of her eyes to see if I can get some clue as to what's going on, but it, I haven't found a strategy that tells me when exactly the monologue is going to end. So you got to you got to it's like it's like riding waves. You just you just got to hang tough.
0: You know, that that is such a politically correct answer. That that that's an answer of, of a of a valuable sidekick right there. That's uh that's uh, that, that that's what you should say because uh cuz we're scared of her basically.
1: Um, and you haven 't been on the pre show mike i mean no
0: i 'm not i 'm not allowed uh, you know, I, I, i've been I'm, uh, i 've been banned from the pre show we 'll we'll, we'll get into it later uh, I'll, well
1: I'll there's there 's a circle of trust uh, around the pre show and i can 't say too much for fear of my own personal exactly safety. Right. Yeah. I can say that sometimes the pre show if tony was on i don 't to see Tony if he can help us out because tony 's a little braver than I am.
0: Uh, yes. Yes. I, 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 I wish I could just go into the pre-show and just like not say anything. I would just like go and, uh, I, I get my milk duds and I get my popcorn and my glass of wine and, um, that, oh, that's all. I don't even need to say anything. You know, I'll just be like, uh, yeah, I'll be like, yeah, what well, whatever, you know,
1: <laughs> we should, the, we should, the, the pre-show would be fantastic. And I have to say, it's so nice that you're doing this tonight, Mike, because I was definitely an SPSM withdrawal. The first two weeks, it was nice to have the break, but I started feeling
0: really lost midweek this week. That's right. So, yeah. That's right. Uh, so, so if people want to get in, uh, well, well, I'll let people in in a little bit. Um, so, so people who don't know me and, and Bart, feel free to ask me questions uh, uh, as sure. I kind of describe myself here. Uh, so, I, I am a family doc uh, and I work here in uh, Northeastern Ohio. I've been here about 15 years. Uh, born and raised here in Northeastern Ohio. Uh, my parents are sold in this area and uh, my in laws are sold in this area. So, it's nice. Holidays are great for us. I uh, got to see them. It was a good time. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm a primary care doc and, and I am kind of in a semi-rural, semi-suburban type county. Um, we have one psychiatrist in this county. We have zero psychi- psych- psychiatric beds uh, in this county. Uh, so it's people like me, primary care, who does a lot of the mental health uh, uh, care in this county, and that's kind of how I was drawn to um, SPSM and, and, uh, and mental health because I relate to a lot of the topics that, that you guys talk about. Um, uh, I got to meet April and, and Tony, I think, I think it's been maybe about two years now. Uh, we were at a, a conference together, we were tweeting it out, we were tweeting it out so much that we got in trouble for it. Um, and uh, we've been uh, collaborating uh, since then, uh, doing little projects uh, here and there. Uh, and it's it's been great uh, learning. It's been great for me learning more about about the suicide prevention uh, community. Um, I had no idea um, that you guys have a small community, but it's very vocal. It's very passionate. Uh, and there's people who I've never have met uh, who are doing projects that I would have never uh, thought about doing. Uh, talking to survivors, telling their story. Um, and it's been great for me uh, as a primary care doc to to learn a lot about your community uh, and and you know taking such a serious topic and trying to find an angle, trying to find a way uh, to make it i wouldn't say entertaining but uh to make it lighter, not to make it so serious um and you guys have, have really really done that and it's been fun for me to kind of watch that and to try to help with that with the retweets uh and to try to try to get more visibility for the community and and yeah you know, just just by you know just meeting you bart you know on a on a computer screen and uh uh and i say this about everybody in, in social media you know i when i see him on twitter or on a video chat you know i feel like i know you a little bit and uh, one of these days we're going to uh we're going to uh, we're going to meet up in person and, and uh, we're going to have ask April to bail us out of jail. We're going to have so much fun. Uh and uh, it's just been, it's been really cool just for me to uh to kind of see all this happen. So um yeah. I don't know if you if you have questions for me as far as uh, I,
1: well, I do because because I've been I've I've been following you on Twitter for a while and every once in a while um uh, when you're at conferences, you're a great live tweeter. So you're really good at live tweeting conferences. And so even if it's a conference that isn't this, doesn't necessarily fall in my wheelhouse that you do a good job and I get sucked in really quick. Um, how did you get into the social media? I mean, when I think of primary care physician, um, and, and your social media savviness and how much stuff you do on social media, those two don't, naturally connect for me how did that how did that happen
0: yeah that's a great story so uh i started blogging it's, it's it'll be 10 years ago this year uh if you can believe that um i was uh, i was sick for a week uh and i was driving my wife nuts uh and actually i was uh more drawn a little bit more towards uh podcasting because as you notice bart i have a face for radio uh, and I've always wanted to kind of be on the radio. Uh, so, uh, so I started listening to podcasts and then, uh, I, then I was like, oh, you know, are there, um, you know, what are these blogs? Cause I think it was during a, some kind of political cycle where they were doing a lot of political blogs and I'm like, oh, are there any, any doctors out there who are blogging? Um, and, uh, this was 10 years ago. So the culture 10 years ago, um, was for everybody to be anonymous Uh, when you're blogging, especially when you're a physician. So they had names like Panda Bear and Grunt Doc. uh, And uh, uh, the cool name that I took was Dr. Anonymous uh, back 10 years ago. Uh, And uh, so back then, 10 years ago, uh, I I blogged about stuff that you should never blog about now. I talked about patients, uh, I talked about attorneys, I talked about insurance companies. It was basically a venting type platform. Uh, and then the first two years when I started blogging, uh, people started getting, uh, in trouble for it. Uh, people started getting fired for it. Uh, people started figuring out that, Hey, this is not a cool thing to do. One of the, uh, uh the, the noted cases at the time, uh, was a, uh, uh, pediatrician, uh, who was blogging about his malpractice case, uh, during the trial. Uh, so it was a great reading. <laughs> he was making fun of this person and that person, but they found out during the trial that he was blogging, uh, and <laughs> in, in this kind of Perry Mason television moment, you know, they said, "Are you Dr. Flea?" which was his name at the time. He said, "Yes," and then and the case was settled. And then, you know, anonymous blogging was kind of sending ripples through the area there uh, at the time, and it was huge controversy, as you can imagine. Uh, wow. so, so I almost quit. Because I'm like, well, you know, they're going to find out about me because, you know, my, my my town doesn't know it. I live in a small town. My, my hospital didn't know I was writing. My practice didn't know it was my writing. My wife didn't know I was writing. Um, but uh, a lot of my readers were like, hey, you know. Dr. A, uh, you have to, I mean, you'll figure out a way, you know, we we like how you write, we like how you express yourself. So at that point, I kind of shifted uh, to talking about more hot topics, more about uh, health policy, uh, to be more promotional about health, um, especially when it comes to things that I'm passionate about, especially like immunizations, how immunizations do not cause autism um, you know, flu shots don't cause the flu. A lot of primary care type topics, uh, because I I really thought that, you know, uh, medicine, you know, was really behind the eight ball when it came to vaccines and autism. People like Virginia McCarthy, you know, were on television, and we weren't as an industry or as a profession ready for that. Uh, so I took more of a proactive approach, um in my writing and talking about primary care topics, including mental health. Um, and, you know, I, I, I talk about now, you know, how we need more funding for a lot of these things, how we need to value the primary care doctor, uh, you know, not only mental health, but primary primary care physicians as well. You know, we need, we need more funding. We need better funding. Uh, and it shouldn't be all those stupid specialists. Oh, well, you know, I love you specialists, but come on, you know, Give it up, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and then, uh, then at some point, I started experimenting, doing a little bit of video, doing podcasting, doing writing. Um, and then at some point, people asked, started asking me to go to conferences and and talk about why physicians should use social media. Um, and there's still a lot of physicians who are still hesitant about it. Uh, you know, understandably, you know they're they're concerned about liability, they're concerned about patient privacy. Uh, they're concerned about getting in trouble. Uh, a lot of them want to get paid for it, um, and it's not there. Um, so there's still a lot of hesitancy from it. A lot of uh, people associate social media with their electronic health record, which they hate. Uh, so why do you want me to go back on the computer? Because I've been already on doing my charting for, you know, nine hours or whatever. Why do you want me to do that? Uh, so it's still a fight when it comes to uh, physicians and social media, especially primary care. Uh, but but we 're getting we 're getting a little bit better uh, a lot of my uh, family medicine uh, colleagues uh, we have a little group that we call ourselves Family Medicine Revolution uh, FM revolution on Twitter. And uh, we talk about the value of primary care, the value of a, of, of a family physician. Uh, and we're trying to educate the public uh, on that too. And that's been fun going to conferences, not only talking about advocacy issues, uh, but I also like, as you, have you seen there, Bart. I mean, I like talking about clinical issues, you know, if there's a latest drug or medication that's out there, if there's new recommendations about things like obesity or cancer recommendations or that type of thing, I like to educate people about that. Uh, um, you know, because what what I tell docs when I when I talk to them is, you know, if if we as physicians, you know, don't don't do this for our patients, who's going to do it? You know, we're gonna we're gonna let you know people like the uh, like the attorneys do this or other advocacy groups who don't like physicians do this. Um, are we gonna like, let celebrities educate people about health? I don't think so. Uh, you know, we need people who are clinicians who are there at the grassroots who are doing this all the time. Uh, And and that's why I feel passionate about social media and and medicine. So it's kind of a long answer.
1: (laughs) No, it's a great answer. And there's lots of stuff I want to follow up on that, but we we got a question for you. Um, uh, This is from Janet Kennedy. Mike, I know you're very, very committed to social media. Is your practice going to engage more, or are you the social media face of your group practice?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, we do have a, 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 a newer physician who just who just uh, started working uh, with us, and uh, she had a lot of questions about. Uh, social media presence uh, so yeah so it's not gonna be me it's probably going to be me and this new physician uh, the, the older physicians the more veteran physicians that um, uh, um, bring up the, the same hang-ups as far as no time and and uh, patient privacy and not really understanding the medium which I really which I understand you know if you're not really familiar with it you're you're kind of hesitant about it um, but it's just it's just overwhelming sometimes just to try to educate people about some of this stuff
1: it is. And, and there's so there's so much in what you said. It's one of the things that I've always kind of gravitated to you. I, I really see so much of, of, of April Foreman in you. You guys were really, really um, uh, revolutionary and innovative um, at a time when it was really scary. I mean, it, it, you guys have paved the, the path, so to speak, and made it easier for other folks. Um, and there were times when you guys were out there doing this and, and really it uh, was going against the grain and probably felt really scary, would be my guess at times. Um, were there times when you almost gave up?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Every time I would see somebody on Twitter or even before Twitter, I, I would see news reports of people who got fired. I've got people who uh, got sued. Uh, and I'm like, is this really worth it? Um is this is really worth it for me to get my voice out there uh, to people who may not understand, or I knew, you know, everybody knows attorneys or some attorneys come after physicians and they're just waiting for them for the shoe to drop uh, yeah. for them to come after you, uh, whether it's a clinical issue or even social media. So there's a lot of, lot of uh, ways uh, where a lot of times where I felt like I felt like, felt like quitting Uh, but then I'm like, well, I got to find a way, find a way to get my voice out there to tell the truth, um, about a lot of these medical issues. And, uh, um, so yeah, I, I, I did think about quitting a lot of times.
1: Wow. What kept you going what, what I mean I, I hear you talking about your need what was what was it that drove you forward if you could put your finger on it what was it that kept you in this and helping folks like me be more active because if it wasn't for folks like you in april i i I wouldn't be able to do the things that I can do on social media
0: uh, I mean it was easy it was it, it was all 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 the people who sent me feedback you know all, all my followers or all people who uh, even before Twitter and Facebook, they left blog comments and people remember blog comments for 10 years ago. That was the only way to do this. Uh, and uh, I remember when I got some of my first international uh, feedback, you know, I, I got uh, some emails from people in Europe or in Asia. And they're like, hey, you know, we may have a d- different political system, but the patient uh, physician relationship provider relationship is the same here. Uh, we want you to keep telling that story, um, and uh, we, we like that you we like what you're doing. Um, and um, that, that's a little tip for for people now. You know, if you if you like what you're seeing, um, I, I you know, give them give them a thumbs up, give them a shout out. There's a, one of the things that's really changed the last ten years is I mean, it's a lot more you know, meanness going on there in social media. It's just like, I don't know what it is. I mean, when it first started, there was a nice, tight-knit group of people. Um, You can have real conversations on Twitter. Now it's just like Twitter Twitter's just like a broadcast medium, and you can't have really have good conversations on it anymore. And and if you really like something that you're seeing, you know, get, get some good feedback from it because there's a lot of talented people out there who want to jump into this who are intimidated by it, who are overwhelmed by it. You just need a little bit of encouragement, especially to newer people. We need a lot more newer people um, in, in healthcare and in, in mental health and in, in the suicide prevention community all around the place doing this.
1: That's that's so important. It's so It's so important. And really it's about relationships. And I think one of the things that you're talking about is the, the, the connection to folks that were connecting with you and giving you positive feedback gave you the kind of that oomph to keep doing it when it was painful um, and, and scary. Um, and I think that that's really important. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was about, you know, we talk when, we, when we're on SPSM and we're talking about suicide, we bring in humor and, and, you know, maybe it is can be entertaining or should it be entertaining? And I, I think this is really, I think this is really important because I actually think that we've created some really bizarre um, uh, artificial dichotomies about information. Um, And that, in fact, people um, are informed through all kinds of entertainment, right? Um, And and we really should be entertaining when we're trying to inform. So I'm a big believer that entertainment should be be a part of what we're doing. Um, And interestingly enough, um, when you look at adult learning theory, adults need to be entertained. If it isn't interesting to them, if they aren't enjoying themselves, they don't learn as much. Um, and so it was, you know, just thinking about it, how many times are people watching sitcoms or shows or comedy shows or movies and they're picking up some factoid right? that they then use later in their life? The interesting thing is we don't know how accurate those factoids are, right? There's a lot of things that we've learned from TVs and the movies that don't turn out to be, you know, they're like sort of true, but not really very true. Um, on Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, they, they they did a funny piece on this about Hodgkin's, right? And and he's talking about somebody comes down with a Hodgkin's diagnosis. And Larry David's like, well, is it the good Hodgkin's or the bad Hodgkin's, right? And and this is all boils down from a TV episode he'd seen where somebody had Hodgkin's and it was the kind you lived from, right? And it was really funny because I had a similar experience where I watched a TV show and they were talking about Hodgkin's. and like, well, there's good and there's bad. Well, it turns out Hodgkin's really scary for everybody and it's a really, really bad disease. But here in these entertainment settings, people are coming away with what they think is really good information but it's not um and i think that in fact we who are providing important and vital information need to be more entertaining um, because we've got to combat the entertainers who are out there doing a really bad job informing people um so that's 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 one of my little uh that's one of my little pet peeves is that information should be entertaining and we should be able to help people learn things and they should want to engage with us because they enjoy it right I
0: think vital. Uh yeah, we we uh so I guess Tony Wood is is uh is is unavailable, but I'm sure that both of us will get a little email later critique um about uh, the uh, the performance tonight. So <laughs> um,
1: all right. He won't be shy with his critique, I promise.
0: Tony's uh. no, not shy. Uh, so so other questions uh that that uh, that came up there, Bart, and uh, if not, then I, I'm gonna open this up here in, in case people wanna yeah. chime in on video here and make fun of us. Yeah, let's
1: see. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's see that happen.
0: All right, all right. Here, so uh, so if Ooh, you're here and you want see? to uh, chime in there, April Foreman, uh, you can feel free to uh try to uh, to hit the button and uh, just just uh, take cover. That's all I'm saying. Are, are you ready, Bart? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. <clears throat> no, look. Uh, Here she comes. Uh, hi. Hi. Oh, well,
1: yeah. Oh,
0: we have no, no video. Yeah. We got no sound. We got no we sound. got no, no, sound. Sound. Yeah. We got no, we got no sound. We got no, no, un- mixed. no, I sound. Got no sound.
1: No product plug. She had no sound like Oh, sound, and, and she
0: she recursed already and we we're, we're like uh yeah. <laughs> that's great. That right.
1: was awesome. But you you I love yeah. spotting a fellow Costco shopper because I love That's
3: right. Costco. yeah. Oh, no, she back and no. You know,
1: no. 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 no so yeah. what's the what's the sign yeah. language for no? Yeah. No, it's not That's not
3: <laughs>
1: oh. See, but Mike, people are doing the I best know. they can.
3: You know, and I think that i we appreciate I, have the you, have, you,
1: have you read any Brene Brown? Yes. Have you read any Brene yes. Brown? Oh my God, I love yeah, Brene Brown. And I find that I have to, when I'm interacting with Foreman, I've got to go to my Brene Brown place a lot. It's it's almost like kind of like Luke with Yoda. You, you gotta. There's times, there's certain people where you've just got to yeah. go Yoda. Sometimes there I feel go. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean if anybody else wants to jump in here and uh you know say hello and uh uh disagree with everything that we've said during this hour, uh you know, you feel free to uh to jump in here and um so uh <laughs> oh Jimmy, Jimmy. Let's see. Hope oh, hopefully this can come through here.
2: Hey, Jimmy, hey. Hey. Hey.
0: where are you, Jimmy? Check it
2: uh, out I'm at my wife's studio, so she she's got a pottery cool. studio and uh, I got pushed outside. I didn't want to uh, bother the uh, Netflix movie tonight. Oh, <laughs> what are they
1: watching? Uh,
2: I don't know. Some crazy movie. <laughs>
1: Well, we we just watched uh, Paper Towns. I loved it. My daughter loved it. The wife ragged <laughs> on it the whole time. So you can't make all the people happy.
0: So, Jimmy, I uh, appreciate you chiming in. A lot, a lot of great uh, feedback in the chat room. A- any thoughts on uh, what, what we've been talking about here tonight there, Jimmy?
2: Well, I thought, you know, I, I was putting myself in, in – uh, uh, Bart's position about uh, you know where you just have to at least in primary care and and Mike you've probably uh, been in the same uh, arena is that uh, uh, for the first uh, fifteen plus years of my career I did everything hospital nursing home outpatient and I finally had to trim it back about five years ago and went outpatient only um, and in so doing I was able to uh, get some more time I think I was really if not burnout, close to burnout at that point. So uh, for me, and what you're saying, Mike, uh, about social media, social media for me has been a good thing in terms of, uh, uh, I think, a way to, you know, it's probably a, a selfishly a form of therapy. But on the other hand, like you, Mike, I try to do some education, try to get my voice out there, uh, especially things that I've found that work in a small primary care office here in rural Montana. So, But does April have sound now? Say, say something. Nothing.
0: Oh,
2: no. Nothing. This is the best show ever. <laughs>
1: no, no. Yeah, she can't. <laughs> well, it's probably a good thing that she doesn't have sound because we only have like 30 minutes left, and 25 no, no, no. would be just boom. Hey, yeah. I'm going to
2: hop off, you guys, like but this was a fantastic show. Great interview. Right. Great answers. Sure. This was very informative, and I appreciate you guys doing this, but I'm going to hop off so somebody else can get on. Cool. And, and Hey, Sean.
3: Sean, uh, good Hello. to see you Sean. All right. Sean, hey. I'm hey, good. Did we got
0: what's sound? What's going on, man? No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, can, we can hear you. Yeah. you. yeah. you you've been doing this blab thing for for a little bit. Uh, what what's your I think you've been liking it, haven't you?
3: Yeah, I really have. Uh, what I like about it is every time that I've done it, it's turned into like this inter- interdisciplinary team where you have a family doctor a psychologist and a social worker, or there was one, yeah, I, there, it, it's been really cool. I think it's just a, a great way to get people together and share different ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I'm really grooving on, hearing from Jim, hearing from Mike, we really need primary care physicians talking about behavioral health and mental health issues. Because one of the things I've learned over the years is that. When law enforcement and when physicians talk about behavioral health, people pay fucking attention. As a psychologist, Sean, you as a social worker, we're supposed to be the experts, but when we start talking, it's just blah, 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 but boy, if a, a police officer or a physician gets up there and says, this is important, we need to look at this, all of a sudden people are like, oh, hey, this sounds really important. And, and that's why when folks like Mike are, are willing to talk about this and Jim get up and, and talk about primary care and behavioral health and suicide. It's huge. Well, I think huge. it's,
3: I think it's strength in strength numbers. You know, the, the, the more people you have talking about it and the more different lenses you have and people saying that it's, that it's important. That's when you're going to get results. You know, if people like Mike step up in leadership roles and say, you know, Hey, as a family doctor, this is really important. We need to address this. We really need to look at this. And that's when people are going to start to listen, too. Exactly.
1: Yeah. and 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 April just posted the stat, and I'm reading I'm reading an amazing book right now. Um, uh, uh, Craig Bryan and and Paul Rudd on uh, uh, suicide managing uh, suicide in primary care. It's an it's a fascinating book. And April cited the stat: most behavioral health care is already occurring in primary care settings. Right. That that's where the bulk. April cited eighty percent, which sounds right to me. So most primary care physicians are already doing suicide prevention. They just don't realize it a lot of times that they're already doing suicide prevention. When you're helping someone with depression or anxiety in a primary care setting, you are doing a form of suicide prevention. And so I, I think that because I've heard some physicians say, well, we don't know if we want to do suicide prevention um, in a primary care setting. Well, you're, you're already okay. doing you it. You don't have to do so suicide prevention a- or care? We have sound. You can oh, she's you got choose sound. the public oh, no. health thing she needs to do. Because I know that was part of your medical oath. <laughs> that that it, that medical oath is a multiple choice item. So, uh. How, uh well, there? people with behavioral health issues don't count, April. So, come
0: on. Good news
3: people Let's don't be real here. Ah, well, so, a little your, sassy.
0: What's your beverage there of choice there?
3: I'm going to have
1: coffee right now. Schweppi. Like uh, Schweppi like the poor fixed, oh um, carbonated water. It's kind of like the... Uh, it's like the... Uh, we'd call, yeah, we'd call that Hoosh. here. This is the official after show. Uh,
0: so you can feel free to uh, curse uh, as much as you like. Uh, I, I don't so. know what
1: I don't feel free to do that, Mike. I'm trying to figure that out.
0: Oh, I see. I, huh. Is this thing on? Uh,
1: there, Re- a, recent, a recent study came out showing a, a, a relationship between the use of uh, um, profane words and intelligence. Um, I think smart people fucking cuss more fucking often is what, what I, if I you're believe. You're going to be an oozing, pustulant <laughs>
3: asshole with greasy discharge. And you should... Get yeah. <laughs> I did well on the SAT.
1: Okay. I think that's I think that my blabbering uh, has been prepared. Uh, let boy. me. Uh, <laughs> For
3: that, but some of your doctors don't choose to
0: treat. It. You're freaking my like county. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just. Uh, let me just. Let ahead. me just uh, hit stop, and then we can continue.